Father, we thank you for the prayers that have been prayed. We thank you for the songs that have been sung. We thank you for the opportunity to worship through giving. And now as we prepare to look in your word, we ask that it will fall, the words will fall upon the good soil of our hearts, and that it will gain much root and that we will grow thereby. We thank you for this time to celebrate this season, God. We ask that you'll bless all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are into our second episode of our series called Emptied and Filled. And we're talking about this time, this season of Lent. And Lent is a time of preparation that requires evaluating not just obvious sin, but sinful attachments to good blessings. Y'all probably didn't like that one, but I, I'm going to have to say it again. Lent is a time of preparation that requires evaluating not just obvious sin, but sinful attachment to good blessings. And rooting out our sins and detoxing, detoxing from our comforts, God is preparing us for ministry to a broken world. I know y'all not comfortable with that. I just had to say that because, you know, but anyway. Again, this is our second episode of this series. And last week we talked about the real, real. Because our subtitle of this series is talking about the real. And last week we talked about the real, real. The real, real is sin. That is what separates us from our connection to the Father. And so this week, I want us to look at what we're going to entitle this week, The Real Right. The real right is God's righteousness. Because there's a lot of things that we think are right, but they're not too right. We want to be walking in righteousness. And my definition that I got from my long-range mentor, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, is... Righteousness is God's way of doing, being, and living right. God's way of doing, being, and living right. So we're going to talk about the real right today. Our definitions are as follows. Lent is the quadestimal fast or fast of 40 days observed by the Christian church before Easter. It's the festival of our Savior's resurrection. It begins on Ash Wednesday and continues till Easter. Empty means containing nothing or nothing but air. Filled. Filled means to be made full or supplied with abundance. The word real. The word real means actually being or existing, not fictitious or imaginary. It's true. It's genuine. It's not artificial. It's not counterfeit or fictitious. Right. Right means conform to the constitution of man and the will of God or to justice and equity, not deviating from the true and just, according with truth and duty, just and true. And righteousness 
He is comprehending holy principles and affections of heart and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call justice, honesty, and virtue with holy affections. Our scriptures that we're going to be going through today are Philippians, the third chapter, starting at the seventh verse, and we're going to just do a couple verses there, 7 through 11. And then we're going to go over to Mark, the first chapter, starting at the ninth verse, and then we're going to go through that ninth through the 15th, and this is all English standard. So let's jump into Philippians. Philippians, the third chapter, starting at that seventh verse, it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Mark, the first chapter, starting at the ninth verse, says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that it will fall upon the good soul of our hearts in Jesus name. Now, I said all of that to get us to a point where sometimes we think what is right is not truly right. Because if we compare our right, I'm going to say right a whole bunch of times. If you compare what you think is right to what you believe is right, then sometimes that right is not the correct right. Now, I'm going to, get, I'm going to explain all this in a minute. Just hold on with me. What I want us to understand is that there is a standard that is higher than what we believe to be the correct standard. That standard is found in the word of God. And in the word of God, we find out that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways of doing things are not the same way that we do things. Because in our mindset, what right is, is being at the top being in charge, being in control. But the kingdom philosophy of being right is being a servant to all. Mm -hmm. 
that if someone is in need, that you give them more than what they need. But that doesn't compute with the way that we think is right. Our way of thinking of what is right is, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's what's right. If you didn't know, I served a little bit of time in the Army. And we had a saying that you only have four rights in the Army. Yeah, to be at the right place, at the right time, in the right uniform, with the right attitude. And guess what? Some folks still violated those requirements. But the thing about the kingdom's philosophy is, when we're talking about being righteous, we're talking about operating in the way that God sees us moving, leading, guiding those that are observing us. Living a life that is reflective of God's glory. That's why it's very important. He says if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, that you have to be the servant of all. Now, I know all y'all in here have been Christians for a long, long time. And y'all all going to tell me that y'all have done that your entire life. And that you was born in the church and that you all you've done was walk with Jesus your entire life. But I apologize, but I was not in that boat. I, 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 I was not having that same mindset. I was a very competitive person. And I always was trying to defeat anybody that came up against me. And then as I started understanding the concept of Christianity, and not only the concept of Christianity, but the concept of the kingdom of heaven, I realized that God does things in a paradoxical way. In order for us to be at the top, we have to work for the bottom. Jesus did a perfect example of this as they were eating dinner and he gets up and he prepares the water and he puts the towel around his waist and he begins to do the most menial task of the household. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now this is the most menial task. The, 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 the lowest of the servants of the house were given that responsibility. Because as y'all know, they didn't have asphalt roads back then. So folks came in with, with dirty feet. And the, the servant was responsible for, and some of y'all know, uh, no, I ain't going to talk about that today. But some of y'all know that everybody's feet doesn't have a same pleasant odor. And, 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 but they, this is the task that they had. But Jesus took the time to wash each and every one of their feet. Now, if you read that story a little bit further, bless you, lovely. If you read that story a little bit further, you will see that when he got to the main man of the disciples, the self-proclaimed leader of the Peter, Peter said, Lord, don't wash my feet. And then, when because, you know, he just had to say, I'm, you know, I'm better than everybody else. Lord, you don't need to wash my feet. But guess what happened? He said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And then he's like, well, just go ahead and give me a whole bath. Wash my whole head and wash, just wash me all over. Because sometimes when we're looking through our perception, 
We place it based upon the world's standard. Jesus, you're a little bit above having to wash feet, so don't wash mine. Since everybody else just let you do theirs, you know, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to let everybody know that they shouldn't have had you do that. But then when the paradox of the kingdom shows up, then he says, well, just wash me all over then if, if, I, if you need to wash me in order for me to get into or be a representative of the kingdom of heaven. So as we look at how God has set all these things up, if you remember last week we were just talking about how pertinent sin was, now we're moving to the right right, which means how am I standing righteously before God? Because Isaiah told us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So I know you don't want to take filthy rags and present them before the Father. So what is happening? What is going on? But there is this mindset that we have to have that when we walk into God's presence, that it is nothing that we have done of ourselves. There's no action that we can do. There's nothing that we can purchase, no somersaults, no cartwheels, nothing that we can do that will put us in right standing with God. But there is a gift that he has provided for us that then allows us to be in right standing, and that's the gift of his son. So when we stand before God, we see that our righteousness, what we think is right, is not right. Because God's standard is different than our standard. Jesus said it like this. He said, they say that you should only help those that help you. But Jesus messed everybody up and he says that you should help those that you know don't like you. Those that despitefully use you. You pray for them. Hold on, Jesus. Are you saying that the persons that I know don't like me, that I'm supposed to pray for them, that, that, Jesus, that ain't right. But when we look at the paradox of the kingdom of heaven, the things that we think are right seem to not operate in the way that we believe to be the right way to do things. Because God operates in a way that is based upon an individual's observation of those that represent him. Let me explain that just a little bit. We are God's example to the world. We are God's kingdom on the earth. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. So whatever perception that people have of the kingdom is based upon their observation of how we attune to the kingdom of heaven's edicts, principles, and responsibilities. Now, I'm not looking at nobody, so I ain't talking about nobody. I'm just looking at my notes. But what we run into 
we sometimes allow the kingdom of the world that we have left, we kind of bring their philosophy into the kingdom of heaven, and it causes conflict. For instance, we can see that God does not do things the way that we would have done things. Because if it came time for you to go to the capital punishment, you would have called down those legions of angels to come and protect you. If it would have came down to uh, one of your people cutting off the ear of the servant of one of the Roman soldiers, you would have said, why didn't you cut his head off? But Jesus didn't do it that way. He set the example and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He told Peter after he put the ear of the servant back on, he says, listen, don't you know if I ask that God could send down protection for me, but I have to go through this journey. So sometimes when we go through these uh periods where we say this is a time of discipline. This is a time whereby we sit here and we want to practice fasting and we want to practice uh, uh, different disciplines that we sometimes lose sight of the purpose of the discipline and just celebrate the discipline itself. It comes to my mind the fact that we start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. But we want to make sure that we're doing the right right. Because if we do the right right and walk in righteousness, then we will resemble and example the kingdom of heaven. Because we can do like the Pharisees and, and, and operate like the Pharisees and we can begin to stand on the street corner or stand, well, we had to, we had to take testimony service at the church because folks were telling so many lies. But anyway, uh, we had to remove those opportunities for folks to do this self-grandizement because they were actually celebrating themselves and not celebrating what God was doing through them. So as we are doing this fasting and, 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 and going through these things and we're going around announcing to everybody, yes, I'm doing a full and total fast. I'm fasting like Jesus for 40 days for uh, this Lent season. That, what, that, don't, that don't mean nothing, baby. Fasting for 40 days doesn't mean anything. Except that you're going to lose some weight. And... If you, and, and if you're not used to that, you're probably going to pass out and they're going to have to hook you up with an IV. Because celebrating your process for the sake of someone honoring you is not the whole, it's not the focus of this. The focus of this is for us to reveal to ourselves or to look at ourselves and see that there are things that we need to remove in our lives so that we can become more attuned to the voice of God so that we can move in the direction that God will have for us to go. Because we do not want to get wrapped up in self-righteousness. 
Because self-righteousness means my way of doing, being, and living right. My way of standing on the corner and, and, and announcing or praying that, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these adulterers, murderers, or even this tax collector. And the Bible then says that the tax collector couldn't even raise his eyes to look up to the heavens, but ask God to forgive him who was a sinner. And Jesus said that the, the words that were said were heard by uh, the tax collector more so than the Pharisee because he went on the street corner so that everybody could hear what he said. But the tax collector lowly put his face down and said, I know I'm not right, but I know you can make me right. Please make me right. We got to do some killing of ourselves. And so as we look at how Jesus went through the process, Jesus goes to his cousin. He says, John, I need to be baptized. John said, you should be baptizing me. He said, we have to do this in the way that God has it set up. Soon as he goes under the water and comes back up, God provides a commission and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the funny thing about this, the celebration was Jesus Go to the wilderness and don't eat for 40 days and get tempted for 40 days by the devil. A lot of times when we have this significant event in our lives, we want everybody to celebrate this significant event that we've had. I've come to this new level in God. I've, I've done all these things. And what we end up finding out is that's just getting you ready for this next level. This next time that God is going to be using to form you and to shape you into becoming that kingdom ambassador that he wants us to be. So he moves from being baptized. He moves to uh, going through this fasting time. He goes through this temptation. He goes all this and then his public ministry begins. So this lets us know how significant this time period that we're going through, this time that we have designated as Lent. It is a time of preparation. We are preparing our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls to celebrate the coming of salvation to the world. The reconnection of the bridge that has separated us so long from the Father. And so as Jesus for 40 days went through this time of temptation, we have to go through this time of weeding out the, the, uh, the, the, the positioning of the enemy and the world standard into our lives so that we can be in a position where we can see what it is that God wants for us to do. We have to destroy the yokes of the, the, the weights and the sin that can so easily beset us. And we have to operate in a way that when it's time for us to be publicly displayed, that we will display the kingdom of righteousness. Now, actually, uh, in the history books, I found out that actually Lent was originally observed by those who were preparing to be baptized. Because for Christian living in times or places where a public declaration of their faith was dangerous or costly, 
baptism held much more social significance than it would in many of our cultures today. Preparation for both the baptism itself and the consequence that it may cost the disciple would have been incredibly important. And just as Jesus was tempted and prepared for public ministry, the tradition of Lenten observance is rooted in emptying believers of material or earthly attachments in order that they may be filled with spiritual and eternal comfort and power. Can you imagine having to secretly go out for baptism and knowing that when, after you come up from baptism that a Roman soldier could be waiting for you to come out of the water in order to take you to the Colosseum to be attacked by lions or tigers or bears because you are a part of the way set because it had become so prominent. But they were willing to do that because they had the blessed hope and assurance of Jesus being on the other side of whatever happened. If their responsibility was going to be to proclaim that gospel to everyone that they encounter, they were going to do that. If their uh, responsibility was going to be to be a witness for God in the Colosseum that folks that were observing would realize that this was something that transcended living. That the life that they were now living was nothing compared to the life that they were going to. Whatever the purpose was, that they were willing to do that. Now today, you tell folks they need to get baptized and they had to wait four or five days because they had just got their hair did. And they don't want to mess up their hair. Or, or that, can we do it on a Saturday because I need to do this? Uh, because Sunday I got this dinner with folks, so I can't do it. I, I can't get wet on a Sunday because uh, um, then I have to change clothes and I already am dressed appropriately for my dinner date. Uh, you know, we, we have lost the significance of what these actions pertain to. So as we are looking at how Paul said it, he says, I, I've, I've given up everything for Christ. I've, I've, I count it not as a major loss in my life for what I have given. I have to help us understand something. Paul was going to be the next high priest of the Sanhedrin. He was going to be the man. He was groomed. He was excellent. He was taught. He was the best of the best. That's why they said, Paul, we need you to go take care of this, this sect that is starting up. And Paul was going, get, killing Christians, making sure that this was not grow. He, Paul, Paul was doing everything that was necessary for him to become what he thought was the right thing for him to be, which was the leader of the Sanhedrin. But one day he decided... They decided to send him to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, he had this divine intervention. Now, this is the funny thing about this. Paul gets knocked off his horse. Well, everybody gets knocked off their horse. But Paul was the only one that heard the voice of the Lord. And Paul did not say, who are you? He said, who are you, Lord? He knew God was talking to him. 
And he's, the guy was like, why are you doing this? And he says, because you are such a hardhead, you're going to be blind for a couple of days. And as he was ministering to him, and Paul got his sight, went away, learned of the Lord, and comes back, and it was so significant because Paul did not change anything he learned. He changed the application of what he learned and realized that God had removed the shades or the blindness from his eyes so that he could see the purpose for which he was trained. But even in all that, Paul says, all that I have is nothing compared to what it is to follow Christ. <laughs> There's, I don't, I don't know how many of y'all have had to go on an interview for a job or anything, but one of the few questions that they'll ask you on an interview is this. What is your greatest weakness? And most of the time, they're trying to test your honesty and your self-awareness. But most people try to use that as an opportunity to showcase another strength. What's your greatest weakness? Well, I'm a perfectionist, and I have to make sure that everything that I do is done right. And I will take extra time to make sure it's done right. Well, that, that's not really a weakness. But that's what we'll tell them. Or, or they'll say something like, I work too hard. Now, for an employer, working too hard is not a weakness. I want you to work hard. But we have taken this and we taken this and, 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 and tried to make it sound like I really don't have any weaknesses. But that lets us know how our self-righteousness acts. And as Paul was going through his journey, he was realizing that, hey, everything that I think was a strength is in reality compared to Christ. And what Christ has for me, that is a weakness. Because everything that he had learned the process that he learned were actually obstacles to the gospel. So as we are going through this time of Lent, we have to really ask God, what are the things that I think are stress for me that are actually causing me not to be in proper relationship with you? I know that's a big one to swallow. So what blessings or what strengths are we relying on to comfort us or to give us success? I can, I can speak, I can sing, I can do all these things, but the real thing that we have to see is how can I submit myself to the will of God? How can I find myself walking in his righteousness, his way of doing, being, and living right? so that I am a good representative of the kingdom of heaven. Because when we are, have emptied ourselves of these things, we have pulled these things down and moved these things out of the way, then God can fill us with the righteousness that comes from God, and it's by faith. That we will know Christ and that we will identify with Christ and that we will 
fellowship with him in the suffering, which tells us that we're going to go through some suffering. We're going to go through some uncomfortableness. We're going to go through some pains. But this is a small sacrifice compared to what God has on the other side, whether it's on this side of life or on the other side of life. There are greater things than us trying to hang on to our little bit of things that we think are important. So what Lent becomes, it becomes this time of, of, of preparation in which our desires are redirected away from the things of this world and that it begins to focus more so on the kingdom of heaven and just like New Year's when everyone comes up with these resolutions of, of what they're going to do we don't want by the end of the month for our resolutions to now have become dissolutions because we can't do them anymore because we don't want to we don't have the time or whatever we want this to be a sustaining thing whatever it is that we have pulled down from our lives during this time period we want to come to a position whereby we are sustaining that so that it does not become because of an event it becomes a part of a life change we want to walk in the right right that we are walking in the righteousness of God. That we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That we will not walk in the pride of life. And that we will walk in the fruit of the spirit that God will be glorified. This is part of the process of this time of Lent. This time of preparation, this time of self-reflection so that we can operate in what God has called for us to be. And that we can reflect his glory to everyone that we encounter. I'm going to challenge you to operate in the mindset of, is what I'm doing God's way of living, doing and being right. That is my challenge. I hope you will grab hold of that and walk in it. Now with that being said, there is some, something that I need to finish up with. Walking in God's righteousness has really one requirement. That one requirement is that you have to have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Establishing that relationship is not a very difficult thing. But it is something that we must do because it is what God requires. God requires that we have a relationship with his son. Because his son is that bridge that I mentioned earlier that connects us back to the father. And the Bible says it like this. It says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Then in that same set of scriptures, Paul, uh, the Bible goes on to tell us that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Now let's talk about this saved real quick. Saved means to be delivered, rescued. Did I say delivered already? Saved, rescued, and delivered. What is it that you're being saved, rescued, and delivered from? You are being delivered from, rescued from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death, which means eternal separation from God. But salvation means that you are now, because you accepted Jesus in your life, you are now moved into eternal life. And so what we want you to do is to make that declaration. And this is the significant thing about this. Whether you're watching from long distance, whether you're sitting here in a sanctuary, this is the significant thing. This is not an individual sport. This is a team event. We are willing, we want to come alongside you and help you along this journey. We want you to become all that God has called for you to be because we know that he has great things for you. We know that he wants you to be a part of his family. And so we want to be God's representative on this earth and come alongside you and assist you along this journey. Now, for in order for us to do that, since we're all over the place, why don't you contact us at info at godshousecc.com. Or you can even text us at 864-920-0100. Let us know that you've made that decision today. We will come alongside you, like I said, no matter where you are on this world. And we will assist you along this journey. Because, again, this is not an individual sport. It's a team event. And we'll come alongside you and assist you. Well, friends and family, that's episode number two. The right, right. The right, right. The real right, the right, left, left, right, the real right. The real right is walking in the righteousness of God because that is his way of living, doing, and being right. And we want to you to grab hold of that during this Lenten season so that when time comes that you will be all that he has called for you to be. Well, until next week, God's blessings be upon you and Jesus' name.